Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Lotus Eaters, episode 721 for today, Thursday the 17th of August 2023. I'm your host, Connor, joined finally by Nick Buckley. <laughs> yeah, well, it's since since I've been here a year, we actually haven't been paired up together. Like You've interviewed me, but we haven't actually done a podcast together yet. So have, we... have we not? No, we haven't been on. I thought, so, I thought we had. There we go, inaugural episode. Right, well, there you we know, go. you're part of the furniture these yeah. days, so I suppose <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard not to think so. Anyway, today we're going to be discussing how Instagram is selling white girls to boat migrants. I'm not making that up. Who polices the prison cells and how Britain is now mid. Now, before we get into it, I just thought I'd give an announcement. I've been directed by John. Our video comments system is on the blink. We're going to get it fixed. Until the meantime, if you are a gold tier subscriber, if you're not, what are you doing? Go and sign up. Um, if you have a video comment, you can submit it to video.editor at lotusseaters.com via email, and we'll hope to get round to all of you. Hopefully none of those fall through the cracks. We're doing our best. Appreciate your patience. But without further ado, we'll jump straight into today's news items. So, about 100,000 migrants, as of this month, have arrived via small boats across the channel into England. And that's a record 45,755 people as of last year. Numbers aren't here yet. I think GB News yesterday when I was on, they said it reached 17,000 this year, but we don't have any official government statistics, mm. obviously because it's going to look really bad. And I wanted to bring up two segments. This time last year, I covered how a bunch of Albanian TikTokers were using TikTok to advertise their people trafficking schemes like it was a, a holiday travel agent. And it was both farcical and deeply disturbing because they were saying, we can pick you up in Brussels and you can be a Deliveroo driver by midnight in Westminster. Very worrying. And then the other one that was last month, a uh, month before last, this was in June, this was about Instagram. And on Instagram, the Wall Street Journal had uncovered that there were pedophiles using hashtags to Instagram's knowledge to share child exploitation material and redirect people to sites where you could purchase children. So these sorts of things are going on on social media. They are going on with the knowledge of the social media platforms, occasionally the government, and there's been utter inaction. And so I regret to inform you, thanks to a viewer who has tipped us off, who has worked within, with, with knowledge of machine learning algorithms, worked within departments that have uh, investigation projects that are of interest to the home office, let's put it that way. He has uncovered a system of Instagram accounts with very large North African followings that are advertising white women from Europe and Britain in states of drunkenness and undress in order to entice those North African men to spend money on being smuggled into the UK. So they're using social media as a meat market for vulnerable girls to traffic men over to the UK. And this is quite the rabbit hole. It's going to be a bit disturbing. We're going to be showing you some of these accounts, some of the videos. And this has been passed on to the mainstream press as of today via sources that I know. So hopefully this gets picked up and, and run with and we can do something about it. But this is exclusive to us and it's, it's a sad situation to be reporting on. Before we jump into that, if you'd like to learn more about another former empire that was plundered by a bunch of barbarians, you can go and subscribe to our website for as little as £5 a month and watch premium series like this, which is Epochs by Bo, where he and Carl in this episode discuss a condensed version of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, um, beginning with the, the sacking of Rome by the Visigoths, and then eventually the sacking by Attila the Hun. It's a very good episode, and it has some strange similarities to what we're experiencing now. So, if we go on to the first clip, please. The this So we're going to play this without the sound, because it just has random North African music over it. This is 
the kind of material that's posted to these Instagram accounts. It's for our audio listeners, young girls on nights out, drunken, falling over in the street in short skirts, seemingly unaware that they're being filmed. Sometimes they will look at the camera. So presumably some of these have been pulled from their own TikToks, but some of these looks like this is from the position of men that are standing around in the street filming them. There are some girls that are being spoken to by police officers falling over, so drunk, they're about to be sick. And so they're in states of relative undress and vulnerability and being spied on. And all of these are being repeatedly posted to multiple Instagram accounts, all of which which have Middle Eastern dialects with the captions, um, both over the top of the videos and in the descriptions. And they're being shared on the same accounts that have videos of, as we will see later, small boats, men breaking into countries via fences. And this is just some footage as we're scrolling through the accounts right now. I think we can pause that one there and we can go to just the next image, please. So this is just evidence that this is being shared on more than one account. Um, we don't have the image. Do we have the image up, please, John? Image two of the second video. It's just a screenshot, essentially, of another account that has posted the exact same image, uh, which is quite concerning. There we go. It's just being pulled up now. There. So exact same video. You can see there the vaguely Arabic writing over the top, and it's being hosted by another account. So pretty worrying stuff. Um, if we can go to just the next clip, please. So on these accounts as well, the same ones, they're posting videos of the French riots. They're celebrating this. They're celebrating the burning down of buildings. Now, this is alongside those girls. So you can obviously see that there is a, an ethnic tension going on in many of these accounts. You can see fireworks going off, um, lots of celebratory emojis, intercut with videos of them walking past European girls in the street, opposite them on trains. They don't seem to be aware that they're being filmed. As soon as they look at the camera, it cuts away. Pretty disturbing stuff. It seems essentially a statement of colonial intent. And then it cuts to a bunch of men on the boat celebrating the fact that they're coming to Europe. So, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty worrying. They're, they're essentially advertising conquest like a travel agency. It, it, it basically is an advertisement. It's, it's picking all the things young men like. Mm. Adventure. Um, women mm. um, fighting. It, it, it's it, it's sort of going into that innate demand that young men are always seeking. Um, if you'd have shown me that video of when I was eighteen of beautiful girls in Liverpool, I'd be wanting to go to Liverpool for a nice out. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 advertising barbarian conquest and the what, how they would see it. Essentially, the spoils of war in these women that they're going to do God knows what to, to prospective men who want to break into the country. Is, is this the next video, John? If we could just, okay, I'll press play on this because this is very creepy. It seems to be advertising the idea that if you come over, you'll immediately get a white European girlfriend because they've got images of flags of various North African countries right next to images of white women next to those men. Here's one. So these girls don't seem to know this guy. And look, grabs his hand and attempts to run off of her. And this seems to be advertised as something you're just allowed to do and actually women would want you to do. These women look very disturbed, but this is something that, oh, and then they're just throwing money about and standing next to the Eiffel Tower and, 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 and wonderful. Yeah, Westminster. They're just promoting a lifestyle to the potential men that will come over, break into the country and plunder the place. And then it immediately cuts to 
images of violence from the Paris riots, saying, you can destroy cities, burn things down, assault police officers, steal their women, and you'll face no repercussions. This is both an advert and bragging. So very, very disturbing stuff. But okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through some of the actual Instagram accounts. So if we go to this one here. So if we just scroll down, we've got some videos. As we can see, there's, there's, there's a gentleman who has decided to just film um, himself with a European woman. And you can see all these comments are in various languages. Same thing. You just scroll down. You see lots of trends. And these are more girls on a night out. And these are interspersed with videos of men just on the boats. It's, it's a marketing campaign. And again, this isn't unique to one account. We've got another one here. More girls in state and undress. And oh, look, what's that? Oh, it's actually a video of men just breaking past the border fence. Right. Bit, bit, bit worrying. I mean, I did see another video as well. I think it might actually be on this account where it might well be this one where they've got a video of just girls walking down the street. And one of the accounts, I think this might be it. Yeah. Young commodity is what one of the replies is in whichever Arabic dialect that is. So this, this betrays how these men think about these women. And lots of the other comments are God willing, as in God willing, I will get to the UK, get to Europe, be able to commit violence and, and have access to these women. So it's so pretty worrying stuff. And this is, this is lots of just these accounts that, that our viewer tipped us off to. Um, as we scroll through, there are just miscellaneous videos of violence. There are videos of what looks like migrants washed up face down on beaches. More, more videos of just men breaking into the country via small boats. There's another account right here. And, and my question is, okay, so, so the Home Office is apparently aware of this trend. Um, Instagram, probably aware of this trend, considering they're aware of all the child trafficking that's going on on their, on their website, because they actually put warnings over the posts that said, this may lead you to child exploitation material. Would you like to continue? It's like, well, hang on, why are you giving them the option to say yes? Mm. Why haven't you taken down this content? Why haven't you reverse traced the IP addresses and handed them over to the relevant authorities who should be doing their job by taking this stuff down? But, but no, adverts for people trafficking and, and the intent to uh, attack young, vulnerable, drunken girls so it seems to just be the order of the day on these social media platforms and, and something the government is just, just willing to tolerate, uh, apparently. But, but all right. Um, so what we have here so I'll just start, cycle through the last two, and you can go and check out these handles for yourself. So that's why I'm flashing them up on screen, just so just so we cover all our bases, and so that we aren't just accused of of making things up and and being terribly racist to these men who seem to declare their intent to just want to assault European and, and British girls. Um, can we can we go to the images, please, John, that, that we were forwarded? Because um, we were oh here here it is yeah wonderful. So our our source actually forwarded us um, images that he's attempted to translate the captions of. So there are some very disturbing ones. Um, curse keeps moving. There we go. Okay, yep, no problem. Go for it, John. Fix that. Fantastic. There we are. So there we go. Tomorrow, God willing, as in I will arrive in the country. Um, I can't even read that caption out, but F every girl who thinks her butt is more beautiful than this one. So again, declaring sexual intent. And then there's a, a video here of the burning down of France. Quote, 
as you condemn, you shall be condemned. So they're declaring some kind of vengeance or ethnic or religious war on the countries that they're saying they want to go to via these small boats and, and break in using the fences off. So, so yeah, pretty concerning. So when I when I spoke to the relevant source on, on this, um, he gave me some information. He said he stumbled across this because of the algorithm that he used and he was able to retrace the hashtags. And he actually said that he used a North African VPN. And as soon as he did that, Instagram started recommending all these accounts in its feed. So they, they found a way to game this and target it specifically to the countries in question. And he said the most popular countries are Algeria, Morocco, Tunisia, Libya, and Turkey. Right. So this is a very clever marketing campaign that is known to the Home Office, known to social media accounts, and yet is allowed to stay up. And this is declaring predatory intent to a bunch of girls in a state of vulnerability and undress. Now, of course, we would all love to live in a, a civilization where these men aren't prowling the streets and preying on young girls. That isn't ever going to happen. It, it will happen a lot less if we don't import them en masse every year um, without betting. But there's always going to be one or two evil people in the domestic population anyway. So to the young girls, unfortunately, who have been captured on a night out thinking they're just innocently going out with their friends and are now used in someone else's marketing material for an international trafficking campaign, uh, my message would be, don't get so drunk that you aren't unaware and be careful what you wear and keep your wits about you and, and walk around in groups to make sure you're looking out for each other because you can actually, you never know where these men are. You can just try and take relatively sensible safeguarding procedures. But the fact that this is happening with the knowledge of the government, does it not just show that all of our institutions are morally bankrupt? What, why, are they, why are they not helping people? I, I have absolutely no answers for this. I think some of this is slightly disturbing. It's not as disturbing as I thought it was going to be. Um, a lot of this is just pure marketing, as in these criminal gangs are making a fortune by attracting young men to come to Europe and they're charging them a fortune for that, for that delivery to getting them to Europe. The attraction of Europe by itself obviously isn't enough anymore now. The money you can make it isn't enough anymore now just to attract those migrants for that. There has to be something else now. And now they're looking at what we do in all advertisement. They're now looking at white European women, half naked. Let's be honest, you know, over the last 50, 60 years, we advertise our women now as basically um, whores. Um, we see what some of them wear. I'm going to get criticized for this, but that's what we're doing. So when, you, when you're a young man from a culture that women are covered up, are protected by family members, when you're seeing our women, it's like, ooh, easy me. Yes. I'm a young 18-year-old. I'm full of testosterone. I'm dying to get hold of something. Europe looks quite attractive anyway, and the women are easy. Of course I want to go. It's, it's a fantastic marketing campaign. Yeah, and this, this was actually a dimension, horrifically, of the grooming gangs, of where they, they called these young girls that they were preying on white slacks because they mm. believed that because they weren't Muslim, because they were ethnically British or European, that they deserved to be sexually assaulted because they were outside of their outgroup and they didn't abide by the same modesty standards. So they thought, well, essentially, she's wearing a short skirt and she's asking for it. And again, these attitudes are allowed to proliferate the advantage of an international trafficking gang, these platforms, government agencies monitoring it, do nothing. So are they not just aiding and abetting 
mass scale human trafficking and the potential assault of girls, as we saw in, in Cologne, in Germany, at, at Christmas markets and the like. But why are our institutions complicit in this? Why have they not taken action yet? Why does it take it being leaked to us and hopefully other outlets that will put this on the air to cause any kind of pressure? This thing should not exist. There should be gunboats in the channel stopping men who are declaring their intention, who are signing up for the ability to burn down your homes, kick your police officers, and potentially rape your daughters. But these, there are boatloads of these men. Why are we not turning them around at the threat of force? But this should be an absolute national security risk because they're declaring their intent to invade. Am I mad? I, but, but, but then the, one of the worst bits, and I want to finish on this before my, my blood boils over, this is something our, our editor sent to us, is that this is all readily available to look at online it happened last year with the Albanian TikTokers. It's now happening not only uh, with all these North African countries, but, but I'm, I'm sure there's other stuff that we aren't even aware of. And the press, same day, runs things like this. I love England, migrant says as he lands after boat crossing. No. No, you don't. You see it either at best as an economic extraction zone where you can leech off the taxpayer, or at worst, you see this as an opportunity to attack vulnerable women and burn down our heritage. No, and, and the press are just as complicit as the inactive home office and the inactive social media platforms of this because they run interference and try and gaslight the public into thinking letting these predatory men in is compassionate. So, I don't, I don't think they think it's compassionate. I think they're just as afraid of everybody else of being classed as racist. I think the people that will swallow this propaganda is, but I genuinely think the press outlets know what they're doing and just want to destroy the country. I, I, I cannot believe that incompetence is, after so many examples of, of terror attacks by people we have picked up from the channel, I, I cannot believe it is incompetence. I believe that lots of these people are genuinely malicious and they hate the countries that they're trying to flood full of people with declared predatory intent. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to end that one there before I, I make everyone else very, very angry. But all I can say is I, I hope that shedding light on this brings brings enough pressure that something can come to it. Right, my segment. Who polices prison cells? It's a question I never thought I'd have to ask. Well, one would hope the police, because they're paid to. You, you would think so. But what happens when the police are also the perpetrator? What happens then? Right. So once you've been arrested, you're at your most vulnerable. You've had many of your rights removed. Mm. You're now under someone else's authority, backed by the state, and to a large extent, you're helpless. So let me tell you this story. Have you ever been arrested? No, I got threatened with arrest last year at Conservative Party Conference, so that's the closest I got. Was that by that officer? Yes, the was... one PC plot, yeah. Yeah, 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 I, m I remember that. Yeah, yeah, he was asking someone a question. Yes, and he overheard the word insidious and threatened yeah. me with the arrest of the Public Order Act of I think, 1986. Yeah, yeah. No, Fraser. Um, a few months ago, if we can bring up the link, um, a few months ago, uh, yeah, that one, um, I was got back on Twitter, right. so I'd missed this for a year, got back on Twitter, and I saw some tweets by this lady called um, Zana Iman, claiming she was raped in a Salford police station in Greater Manchester. And straight away, I thought, that's not true. She's mental. It's unbelievable. There's more to it than that. And I just passed it, saw some more tweets, and basically ignored them because I thought, that's not true. No point spending time on that. And then she must have found out I'm standing for Mayor of Greater Manchester, and she reached out and says, hi, Nick, would you like to see some of the information I've got? And I thought, well, I, I, 
because I've dismissed it, I better go see the information. So we met up and it turns out she's a very nice lady, not mental as far as I could tell. Um, very articulate, very intelligent. And she told me her story, which was shocking. And then backed it all up with the evidence that I sat in a coffee bar three hours going through the evidence whether that she's collated over two and a half years. So let me tell you her story and then jump in with questions along the way. So it was February 2021 during lockdown. She was struggling at home um, in Salford, living on her own. And one night she was taking cocaine. Her friend phoned her, realized she was distressed, wasn't happy with what she was saying, and decided to phone the police um, and express his concern about what she was saying and he's worried about her. So a welfare check. Welfare check. Right. Um, what a friend should do if he's worried about you. And like I say, well, look, it was a mental time a couple of years ago during COVID. We tend to forget now. You know, isolated, no one to talk to. Police turned up at the house. Um, entered the house, um, tried to calm her down, trying to speak to her. And she, on purpose, brushed the female police officer's face and knocked her glasses off. It was assault. Minor assault, but assault. Yes. And she was arrested. Up to that point, I've got no problems with any of this up to now. Welfare check, on cocaine, which shouldn't have been, and assaulted the police officer. Yeah. Got arrested. Yes. Not got a problem with any of that. Then it all starts looking suspicious. So then she's put in the back of a van. Google Maps says it's seven minutes from her house to Pendleton Police Station. And it took, well, from being arrested to then turning up on video at the police station was an hour and a half. So why did they sit her in the back of the van for 90 minutes? We don't know. Was she waiting in custody for an hour and a half with the custody sergeant? They can't answer this question and we don't know, but she disappears for one and a half hours. She then appears at the um, prison cell. She's in custody. Um, Zana has spent years gaining the information and putting in requests for the footage. So she's got a lot of this footage, which I viewed. Um, she's in the cell. She's, she's carried in unconscious by five female police officers who look female. I don't know if they're all female these days. So does she not remember no. the cause? Right, okay. No, she, she remembers being arrested. And she, I think she remembers getting in the van. Nothing after that. Did she overdose or did she just pass out? Uh, passed out. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the female officers, five of them strip her naked in the cell, put some shorts on her. Right. And leave her topless, naked, with shorts on, in her cell. Unconscious. Lying on a lying on the front. Why? All on video. All on video. So the police have said that they took her clothes off her and searched her because they weren't sure what she was carrying. Right. So it could have been either a weapon or extra drugs, or they thought that she may have been a somehow a suicide risk. Or yes. Like yeah. So so right. again, that doesn't look nice. But, but no no excuse to leave her topless. Well, again, I can understand it as in. If she'd have had drugs concealed on her, they already knew she'd taken drugs. Yes. She's got drugs concealed on her, and then she takes them in the station and ODs. We'd be having a different conversation today about yeah. incompetence of the police, letting the vulnerable woman kill herself. But if they, so they stripped her off, but did they strip search her? It's hard to tell from the video, but they must okay. have searched her, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. But she's left there with just a pair of boxer shorts on, basically. Right. 
in the cell. Um, the vigil shows her when she's, when she's awake, quite calm, sat with a blanket wrapped around her, knees to her chest, as you, was, as you would imagine someone who's distressed, but quite calm, probably thinking to herself, what the hell am I doing here? How did I get here? Not causing a problem, not screaming, shouting. Then there's, a, there's breaks in the video. One hour goes missing, two hours goes missing of the video footage that she cannot get. And then when she appears again in the cell, she's now distressed. She's walking around. She, she looks erratic. At one point, there's, it looks like blood dripping from the top of her leg. So it's not water, it's dark liquid dropping from the top, dripping from the top of her leg. Is that blood? We don't know. The police then are worried about her and take her to a mental health unit. When she's at the mental health unit being examined, she thinks she says the word rape. They then kick in their protocol and take her to the rape centre hospital next door at St. Mary's. So, so when, you, when you say she thinks she said... yeah. Did she tell you she did say that or can she not remember what she said and this is on video slash written down somewhere? No, she thinks she remembers saying rape. Right. Okay. Because again, she's, she's semi-unconscious. She's on drugs. She thinks she says rape. Right. And then she remembers them taking her to the rape crisis center, right. um, which is based in the hospital. There, they examine her. Right. They find uh, vaginal bleeding and anal bleeding. Right, so injuries consistent with okay. with, with rape. Um, they then she's then released after forty hours. She's in police custody for forty hours. She's then released, <clears throat> and then she has flashbacks, and she's thinking to herself, something, something's gone on here. You know, I'm sore in parts. I shouldn't be sore. Um, I remember being naked. I remember a police officer in the station talking to me about anal sex. She has flashbacks of an officer asking her questions about anal sex. Um, and she's thinking, oh, and so she then turns into an investigator, a detective. So she spends two and a half years writing to the police, putting in formal complaints and requesting evidence. She starts requesting the video footage of the body cameras of the officers who arrested her. She gets some of it. She gets it that shows her assaulting the police officer. I've watched that video. She gets it from the prison cell. She has something like 10, 12, 15 hours of her in the prison cell, apart from a couple of hours that have gone missing. Right. She then writes to um, the mayor of Greater Manchester, the victims commissioner. She puts more formal complaints into GMP, getting nowhere. Then Sky News picks her up and has a conversation with her. And if we can have the next type, so that's Pendleton Police Station. That's where they, they took her to. And if we have the next one. So Sky News interview her and do a one-hour interview with her and cover her story. Um, things change. Her by herself could not get any traction, could not get anyone to look at this case. We've got to a stage in our country now that if you want justice, you have to get the mainstream press involved to open the doors for you. Never thought I'd have to say that. And we criticize Sky News all the time. But if it wasn't for Sky News, this still would be only on Twitter. One woman crying out for help. And most people, including myself, thinking, unbelievable, she's mental. But Sky see all the evidence. Um, she then 
shows me the letters she wrote to the Mary Greater Manchester. Right. To Andy Burnham. She writes him a letter. She gets a letter back. Right. Um, standard cut and paste. Uh, the police are investigating the police. Nothing we can do. Right. So they're allowed to mark their own homework mark despite not being able to provide the crucial hours of CCTV footage or the body cam. Or, okay. Yeah. She then writes to the victim's commissioner. She gets a standard reply back from that. Oh, thank you for your letter. GMP are investigating this. Nothing from them either. So Sky News then forces Andy Burnham's hand, the Mary Greater Manchester. He then requests an independent review into this. So who does he get? He gets the Labour dame, who's actually the victim's commissioner. Right. Both of them on TV going, we've never heard of this case. I've seen the letters Zana wrote to them. I've seen the replies their office wrote back to her. But that's the point. The office wrote the replies, yes. and so yeah. they don't actually care about the people they're purporting to serve. Yeah, so people at the head of those departments can say, I never saw any letter. Yeah. Well, of course you didn't. You don't open your own mail, but surely when you get such a complaint like that, surely someone should be raising that with you, not Sky News. Yeah, at best, your office staff are utterly incompetent. At worst, you didn't care. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so Sky News have asked police questions. So the responses from the police now are, those hours of footage that are missing, the disc's been corrupted. Oh, right. So it's just the Epstein excuse. Yeah. And the master has now been re-recorded over because it's been two and a half years. She's been asking for it for yeah. two and a half years. You've never once said to her the disc's been corrupted. You've always just not answered the request for it or sent her duplicates of another hour she's already got. You've never said to her, those, that, those discs don't exist anymore now because they existed at the time when she wanted them. The shorts that they placed on her that may contain DNA evidence, missing. Right. We don't know where those shorts are. Right. So this has gone from incompetence to potentially a cover-up to police corruption. I don't know what's gone on here. All I know for fact is something's happened to her. I don't know what it is, and I don't want to jump to conclusions. Something has happened to Zayna. I don't know what it is. The only people who can, who can prove she's a liar mm. or prove nothing happened are the police. And they're the ones who have weirdly dispensed with all of the evidence that you would think would acquit them if they didn't do something. And you think they'd want to. Yes. You think they would want to be able to say to her, you're a liar. Here's all the video footage. Here are the shots. You're, you're just a fantasist. Or maybe you're confused. You took drugs. You're confused. And that would have been a great response. Yep. And probably an appropriate response if they could approve all that. But with this missing, it leads doubt. And it leads that accusation of corruption and cover-up. Because what happened to her in that cell? Now, we have police video, police officers now in this country wear body videos. The, every police station is videoed. When you're interviewed under caution, it's videoed. Every police cell has a video in it. The corridors in police stations and the custody desk all have videos in it. Well, presumably, the police vans would also have interior cameras. I'm not sure if they do or not. I, I, I don't know. But the officers who take her in the van or go in the van with her should have body-worn cameras. So... The police have videos for one reason, one reason only. What is that reason? Do you know? I would assume so that if they're brought up on, on charges of misconduct, they can then acquit themselves. That's the only reason why we have police video. It's not to protect you. Yes. It's to protect police officers. Yes. 
And to be fair, sometimes they do need protecting because when I was running Manchester City Centre, we had an issue of Roma women in the city centre who were um, pickpocketing, stealing from shops, and they made it known to police officers that if you arrest me, I'm going to rub my fingers inside my knickers and I'm going to rub those juices on your hands and on your jacket, and at the station, I'm going to cry rape. Every male officer in the city centre was terrified, thinking, I don't want that on my record, even if I'm proving nothing. It's still on your record that you had accusations against you know, a woman and, and police officers then. It worked for a tiny bit. Male officers were going, I'm not getting involved in this, until the top brass went, don't worry about it. We've recorded it. We're looking into this, and we started arresting Roma women again. So these things do happen, and officers need to be careful, hence why we have video footage. But the video footage, you need to protect the officer. When it goes missing, on the hours you're saying something's happened, surely alarm bells must ring there. Well, yeah, because if you're recording all of your interactions, the express purpose of acquitting yourself if something has gone wrong, then the existence of the video footage is an asset to you. So the only reason you would scrub it if it's, is if it is a liability because something did in fact happen. And my concern would be, okay, then... How can you bring lots of different people from different departments who handle different things in unless, one, it was a senior officer who has some weight, or two, it was more than one officer, so each has leverage on one another. But those are the, and, and this is the kind of speculation that gets driven when there is no transparency because you're unwilling to and have actively destroyed the evidence that might otherwise acquit you. Exactly. And let's say it was one piece of incompetence or just one dodgy disc. Right. We're not just looking at one piece of evidence that's gone missing. Yes. There is several sections, not consecutive sec- not consecutive sections, that have gone missing. There's the shorts that have gone missing. She's got copies of the custody log. So the custody log is a written record of everything that happens to you the second you enter that station, to the second you leave that station, full of inaccuracies. So just simple mistakes like officer went to visit her at such and such a time. Then you look at the video, it's an hour and a half out, not five minutes out where the officer roughly guessed what time he went in. I can accept that, but an hour and a half out, or officer went to see her, then you see the videotape, four officers are in the cell. It's just the video, the, the custody log is full of inaccuracies, and that should be gospel. That should be everything that happens there. That's a complete shambles the fact that that's wrong and the shorts go missing and the video footage goes missing as well shows that it's different departments different people should be handling that information to stop the centralization of power which could lead to one bad actor scrubbing all of that at once so why are multiple people potentially covering this up like who is involved the serious exactly. question exactly so when she wrote to andy Byrne and mary greta manchester and he wrote back going oh the police investigated nothing i can do that was a time two and a half years ago where that evidence could have been found, yes. could have been um, grabbed and put safe. Senior officer put in charge of that. This is, this is a serious accusation. Nothing was done. Only when Sky News got involved did the mayor actually act because it damages his PR. And what people don't understand is the mayor of Greater Manchester is also the police crime commissioner. He has both those roles. He's in charge. He's responsible for the police. He has allowed this to happen on his watch and not followed up when mistakes are made. Now, again, I don't know what's happened to Zana, but what I do know 
is anybody else I know would have given up by now. She's been fighting for this for two and a half years. She's got reports from the mental health nurse who examined her, from the rape crisis center, from the custody log to all the videos. She spent two and a half years putting in requests for information and getting it. She's put this case together. Absolutely amazing what she's done. Most people would have given up after the first complaint and got nowhere. You just would have walked away. She hasn't. This needs looking at. So let's end with what with Zana and, and her words. I've been gaslit. I've been stonewalled. And I, as a last resort, I waived my right to anonymity. And that wasn't easy. I believe over 30 months later, you've more or less destroyed my forensic opportunities, haven't you? You've left it too late. I've been failed by the entire police complaints procedure. And in my opinion, it's not fit for purpose. Now, this is my deep frustration with the Sarah Everard case as well, because a bunch of political opportunists jumped upon it as an example to indict all men and toxic masculinity and rape culture and all of these nonsensical buzzwords rather than looking at the actual issue, which is the ability for the police to cover up for their own crimes in their midst when, when the likes of Wayne Cousins was nicknamed the rapist, was known to have had infractions by flashing people. And then you also get the fact that the police hiring and, and disciplinary standards have slipped. I mean, it's, it's even something as simple as, so I, I know people that have worked on police bases just doing the engineering work and like, and spoken to police officers and they said, these new recruits, they don't, um, they don't march silently straight up anymore. They, they, they laugh and joke and elbow each other when they're receiving their accolades and their graduates because they have no respect for the institution. And if you don't command that respect for the institution, you attract the exact kind of wrong people who are instead attracted to the power, status, and immunity conferred on you by the institution rather than looking to protect and serve. So you will have awful people that enter the police. You, you can never fully stop that. All you can do is have a culture of transparency and accountability that can weed them out when something goes wrong. But if all you do is cover up their abhorrent crimes, which it looks plausible in this case has happened, mm. then you're just going to encourage that behavior and let the most vulnerable people down. Two things there. First of all, I agree with you. This is about recruitment. But over the last 60 years, we've lowered recruitment in the police to attract more women more ethnic minorities, more, more box ticking. We've had to lower the recruitment standards. Uh, but Bad Apple's always got in. And the second thing we've done now, it, it, you're right, it's the cover-up. It's the reputation of this organization is more important than justice. And you can say that about many, many organi private organizations and public institutions. It's always about the reputation because that reflects, a poor reputation reflects badly on senior management who are always looking for promotion, always looking for their MBE and their knighthood, and they don't want this sort of scandal. So let's just cover it up and carry on. We need a big light shining on these institutions and saying to people, we're going to find some disgusting things here and we're going to take a hit on the reputation. But that's fine if we clean it up once we've discovered it. But stop the cover-ups. That's what we need to do. Absolutely. Well, I, I hope in that case then that, that she gets the necessary justice she needs. She, she does. I hope she does. And well, well done for being an advocate for her, mate. Um, obviously, pass on my pass on my best wishes if you speak to her again. But uh, yeah, sorry, sorry for the for all the horrendous news these days, ladies and gentlemen. It's, I not, it's not I a know, funny episode. No, it's not. Is. It's really not. No, but it's it's actually one. It's quite important. Yeah. And two, it's quite difficult to find heartwarming news because there's not much of that going around yeah. these days. Um, speaking of which, I suppose. 
Britain's looking pretty mid these days, isn't it? It's uh, pretty difficult. It's unimpressive. The decline is palpable. You walk around, there's litter everywhere. The trains aren't running as expected. Uh, everything's really expensive. There's people that don't even speak the language walking the streets and, and disrespecting its great buildings and culture and, and taking from its economic system. Can I show my age? Yep, go for it. What does mid mean? So online discourse at the moment, there is the idea that you are sort of middle of the pack, average, and it's almost more insulting than being called unattractive. You're just right. so unremarkable yeah. that I don't even think about you. Right. And that's what's happened to Britain. They, they keep saying, oh, Britain's not declining. It's great. It's days ahead. Does anyone really believe that? No. It, it feels like we are in managed decline as a regional constituency of a global project. It feels like they've appointed some car phone warehouse manager, our, our respective prime minister, and there's a revolving door of those managerial types who will just steward us into irrelevance. When, when we could be a hell of a lot better, yeah. there's just no political will to do so. And this segment was actually inspired by my recent visit to America. So this was last month, and I, I went over to uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts for about a week, went to Harvard, and then I also ended up going to Washington. And I was just looking through this. And in America, and this is, this is the thread of just a, a various set of images, uh, this, this particular area in Cambridge, I was just walking around all of, the, all of the suburbs, and it felt like I was being in a bit of a Stephen King film, but most of the lawns were taken care of. Yeah, there were some cringe lawn signs and you know, BLM and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, there were some, some chalk drawings saying that all Republicans are fascists, and, and it, it's unbearable. But there is a palpable sense in the air of self-belief. There is a spirit still alive in America. They still fly their national flag at a roughly two to one ratio to the, to the pride flag. There is a much more healthy mood going on in America, and it looks like a revival might actually be possible in certain pockets of it there, like some of the outside DC areas of West Virginia where there are some like young Catholics and, and young mm. Republicans and that living. They, there's still a sense of self-belief, whereas if you walk around England these days, people are stooped, they're demoralized, they're depressed, and they don't actually believe in their ability to rescue themselves because every time they try and assert that they're culture is better than is being denigrated, they're kicked down and called racist. And something that I noticed, but I, I didn't think I photographed it here, is the idea of honesty boxes. Mm. Now, this is something that I, I saw Callum feature in, in his mm. video, Touring Britannia, of where you had an honesty box for filling up a, a bottle full of milk at a vending machine in, in rural Britain. There were honesty boxes here, when I was walking around Massachusetts, for books. So people could just walk up, open the cage, take a book, leave a book. And so people mm. could could read as they please. And this coincided with a recent piece from my, my friend Mary over at Unheard, where she was talking about the death of the honesty box due to mass migration. Cultural disintegration is, is, is happening because of the amount of people brought into the country that aren't willing to assimilate because they're treating Britain like an economic zone. I don't know if you saw the recent discourse on Twitter. I think I've got a link embedded here at, at some point about this. But recently, these adverts have been appearing on the London Underground that have said, immigrant, yeah. I'm a migrant and I'm making a difference. And so I'm working hard to then send money back home. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, right. So you have no, you don't have no ties to this place. You see it as a economic opportunity zone right for extraction, and you can just send it to your family overseas. And I understand why people are doing that if they're allowed to do it, but why are our politicians letting them do it? Mm. Letting people come over, having no consideration for the continuity of the culture, just to plunder the place. And as if the culture wasn't the prerequisite to us being very prosperous in the first place. You need that work ethic. You need that, that galvanizing spirit. You need the ability to have high trust so people just don't take. I wrote an article on this a couple of years ago. I think it's in my, my second book, the making, of, yeah, it's the making of a Beggar. And in that year I wrote the book, I think like two years ago, the UN stated that in the UK, we sent abroad um, £8 billion. So immigrants working here, sending money abroad to their family, we lose £8 billion a year. Yeah. And that's 
as well, lots of them, their first year coming over here where they will use public services without ever paying into the service. Yeah. So they're sending out brilliant abroad, but they're subtracting probably equal or more than that as well. So running up a massive deficit. And so I just wanted to read something that Mary wrote in here. A fluctuating community by contrast with a large proportion of individuals who don't or don't yet have long-standing ties to the area and one another is unlikely to be one in which people leave their doors unlocked or sell raspberries via an honesty box. Many who recall growing up in more stable communities dislike the sense of lower social cohesion that research shows accompanies rapid social turnover since about, oh, I don't know, 1997. From this perspective, it may be tempting to ask, who is the our in diversity is our strength? But to the extent that population turnover is driven by immigration, expressing disquiet is to court moral untouchability. So you can't actually question if the mass migration policies are in the interests of the native indigenous British community who actually have an entitlement to say, no, I was born here. My family were born here. I was raised here. I love this place. And if you make this home like any other, I have nowhere else to go to. At least all these people that you've brought over have a homeland to send the money back to and go back to if Britain falls apart. If Britain falls, where else do I go? I just become another refugee of the global homogenous project. And it's very alienating. So I wanted to compare us a little bit to the US because there was this good Telegraph article recently. And it says, hardworking US is getting rich while the UK struggles on benefits. And there's just some interesting stats in here. So they're middle of the pack for earnings in G7 countries. So we have some we have some graphs in this actual article. America takes the top spot, of course. I think this is down a little bit. Um, it says a nurse in America can expect a pay packet of $85,000 compared to $48,500 for a nurse working in the UK. Back in 2000, GDP per capita was higher than 14 US states in the UK, and similar to that of Ohio or South Carolina, because America is a continent, not a country, hence it's so hard to govern. Two decades later, the UK has dropped 11 positions to have a GDP per capita that's closer to Arkansas, which is one of the least populated states, and it's very agrarian. It's not exactly a very built-up city place, whereas the UK is one of the financial centres of the world, thanks to London, and also because of that, leaves behind lots of other towns that keep being promised levelling up funds, and instead get HS2, which shaves like, what, 11 minutes off your train journey? Straight into London. Yay, more centralization. If these trends continue, by 2035, the gap between output per person in the US and EU will be as large as that between Japan and Ecuador. So we've also got a sizable economically inactive population. Mm. So that's the retired people, that's students, and people receiving benefits. So that's 15 million people, which is a record, receiving universal credit. Now, just to just to put in perspective how much our, our political class hate us, I went to National Conservative Conference uh, May now, and most of the conversation around there was about how liberal materialistic capitalism has failed people because they've outsourced jobs overseas, regardless of the cultural impacts, regardless of the mm. impact on communities that form a mining towns, for example. And then the cabinet ministers get up and Suella Braverman says that, that British values are tolerance, um, liberty, and a universal sense of human dignity. So nothing particular. To Meaningless. Me. Exactly. Buzzwords. And Michael Gove gets up and he's asked, what are the achievements of 13 years of conservative government? And he not only says the intellectual and superficial diversity of our cabinet, so more brown people. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Michael. He said the streamlining of the universal credit system. Right. So the conservatives expanded the welfare state, and now we have more dependence than ever, and you're racking that up as a win. Mm. Are you, Michael? Like, I can only explain his continued failure upwards in government by he must know where a body is buried somewhere. Because otherwise, it's completely inexplicable by the man gets everything wrong from the education system to housing to espousing 
the kinds of policies that would be better in the Liberal Democrats, even though he actually said on stage, there's not a single Conservative MP that would be more, more at home in the Liberal Democrats. I can't explain why he keeps progressing other than the party themselves actively want to destroy the country at this point, bar a few backbenchers, which are all right. So this is actually least pronounced among 25 to 49-year-olds, this economic inactivity zone. But then that just shows that we're squeezing the middle class to death. It shows that the most entrepreneurial, the exact people that should be at the age at which they're settling down and having families, are becoming tax cattle for the least likely people to work. And yes, so I understand that people on a state pension feel that they've worked all their lives and they've paid into the system. But that is also a, a sense of entitlement that is a consequence of not understanding how economics works because inflation has robbed us of our purchasing power. And so lots of the boomers, and I count my grandparents among this, both set of uh, who are still alive and who I love and I see pretty much every week, they don't understand that they paid in a lot less than they're currently taking out just because the government has squandered lots of money away on things like COVID and that. And so currently, actually, your pension is being paid for by me. So I, I can't get a house, mainly because of mass migration. I am earning less and I'm taxed at the highest tax burden since the Second World War because of the way the government has mismanaged the economy and because you need a pension. And so the service, the system isn't helping anyone, but you're also not allowed to question any kind of restructure to the NHS or the pension system because you'll be called a bigot or something, which is Mary's point and it's just very, very annoying. Quote from this article. Of course, there are pros and cons of living on either side of the pond. As one person recently commented on the internet forum Reddit, oversimplified, but on a scale of 1 to 10, life in America is a 1 if you're poor and a 10 if you're rich, they observed. In England, it's a 4 to a 6 no matter what, and I'll take the security of that. But, as we're learning, there's little security in mediocrity. And that's why I'm calling Britain mid. Mm. Because at the moment, no matter how hard you try, tall poppy syndrome kicks in because of the egalitarian approach of redistributive tax systems. And so anyone who is enterprising might just move abroad to somewhere like Ireland or the US or Australia, where they're going to be taxed less and have less of an economic skill ceiling over their head, and where the climate might not be as stifling to question, well, should we be a health system with a country attached that isn't actually meeting any of its targets and the majority of people are in zones where the ambulance won't reach them in the stated time that they're expected to, so they might just die awaiting getting to hospital. But for, for some reason, none of these services that we keep paying more and more for seem to be helping anyone. Pretty frustrating, but... but and none of, none of them are getting any better. No. Money isn't the solution to any of these services we have. Could we just keep plowing more and more money into it? What we're running now in our country, basically, is a Ponzi scheme. Yes. It's, we're going to keep taking more and more and more of the people who are earning money which then makes some of those drop out of earning to go on benefits or leave the country, which means that we've got to take slightly more of the people that exist to make up the shortfall that people have left people gone. But it's a bit like what's happening to um, California. Anyone with any money now in California seems to be moving out and they keep increasing the taxes, which forces more people to move out. And the state is going to go bankrupt well, it's a, the UK is a Ponzi scheme. It can't go on like this. When change will happen, I've got no idea. What, what it will take to, to make that change, I've no idea. Well, also, there is the perverse incentive for the government to keep doing this because then they foster learned helplessness yes. and dependency among a large swath of the population that will keep voting for the party that promises them more money because otherwise they have no means of eating because they have learned that to work is actually a liability because you're going to actually earn more and have a higher quality of life if you just accept a government handout. Problem is, of course, when the government stops extending their hand because you tweet the wrong thing, then you are just going to starve. 
So mm. pretty, pretty dire. But anyway, then we look at the people that are actually having these handouts. It turns out that the record number of, of Britons are receiving more in benefits than they pay in tax. Yeah. So this is Civitas for the Office of, of National Statistics. So, you know, far-right organization. And this is the data from 2020 to 2021. So this was before the record number of migration reached a, a, almost, it's going to be a million this year, I think. Great. They showed a record number of 54.2% of people, so it's 36 million, now live in households which receive more in benefits than they contributed in taxes. This includes non-cash benefits, such as the NHS and education. The study also showed 83% of all income tax is paid by 40% of British adults. So that's that squeezed middle and upper private class that we were talking about that have the incentive to move overseas because they're mistreated. Authors Tim Kinnocks and Daniel Liley say the net dependency ratio is the highest ever on record. And so that's why you get articles like this. that says, the once great British middle class is now riddled with entitlement and dependency. So what they say is, last year, the top fifth of earners paid an average of 33,579 more in taxes than they received in benefits and contributed half, 49.4% of all tax collected by the government. Top 10% pay a third of all tax. For income tax, the contribution of the well off is even more startling. The top fifth of earners now pay two thirds, 67.7% of all the government's income tax receipts. Now, you would actually have a larger, more industrious middle class that you wouldn't be able to uh, accuse of entitlement if you stopped squeezing them out of existence and making it so that other destinations were more prosperous and more attractive. But instead, they're just chasing all the British prosperity away and packing all of the hotels full of people who don't work, but that government spending increasingly going up can look like more economic activity on a GDP graph because they count government spending and just money changing hands. In their graphs, they can fudge the numbers to look like, hey, we're doing a good job because they've just determined the best thing about country is being a growth zone. And if they can't create more growth, then they'll just artificially create more people in the country. Good fun. Anyway, so on to the next one. Um, there are adverts all over, all over the tube, as I mentioned. So this is Paul Embry from GB News, who's actually left-wing, and he can diagnose problems, but he can't diagnose solutions. And he said, spotted this on the tube. Even if I were pro-open borders, I'd be uneasy about that strapline. It basically presents the UK as little more than a cash cow to be milked by the international labor force. No notion of home, community, or belonging. Yes, because you can't qualify sentiment on the spreadsheet. So it's utterly useless to our managerial class. And Albie, who's interpersonally a nice fella, but wrong about everything. He says, anyone else think this is a touch of snowflakery from Paul Embry? If an immigrant wants to spend their money supporting a family abroad, it's their choice. It's up to individuals to decide how to spend their money. Family and individual choice are conservative values. Let's break down exactly how this is wrong. First of all, cultural apathy does not create a country. A country is a piece, uh, a people, a place, a time, a culture, and a set of traditions that they have inherited, inculcated, and iterate upon and those traditions have come out of that people, place, and time. It is specific. It's not just this universal thing that you can package up and transplant elsewhere and think that as soon as people come over and they're just generating money, that they are as good as the people that have grown up here and been inculcated in that culture for decades. Also, it's not just a choice because choices are not made in vacuums. And other countries do not consider themselves as universal as Albi or our ruling class does because they consider themselves bearers of civilization and they have ethnic in-group bias. So they don't feel connected to this place. They see this place as an extraction zone from which they can take all that is worth and as soon as conditions get bad, they can hop on a plane and go back home. Whereas lots of people like me don't want to because we grew up here and so I feel entitled to live here and actually wouldn't feel at home anywhere else. So we're not just 
anywhere men. And the last one, family and individual choice are conservative values. Whose family? Which choices? No, you're talking about liberal values and you're conflating liberal with conservative because the capital C conservatives are progressives and they have been for quite a while. And Albie, yes, you are a progressive. You don't want to admit it, but you are because you don't understand your own philosophy. Family, it depends on the family structure. It depends on the quality of family. It depends on if the family contributes to the continuation of the nation or they don't care about the country and they would belong elsewhere. And the individual choice, well, is the individual choice virtuous? Or is it just making you another stratified, fungible consumer unit that the government can register in your one-bedroom apartment, endlessly consuming and cooming so that it looks like the line will go up, while also the other line that goes up are deaths of despair and demographic uh, decline is kicking into effect because fewer people are having families, but they're just sitting on Netflix all day. But none of, none of these things are conservative. None of them are a strong moral narrative to impart onto people. Albie's a good example of what's wrong with the, the Tory party because he's, he's not a Tory. He thinks he is, and the party are full of people like him now, hence why we've had 13 years of, of what we've had. The, the UK, I wrote an article about this called, I think it was called Hotel UK. The UK now, our home now is basically a hotel. How do you treat a hotel? You don't treat it like a home because it's not a home. You, you use it. You treat the services at the hotel. You chip the wardrobe. You don't tidy up after yourself. What's the point? It's just a hotel. Yeah, you always think someone else is going to clean up after because you. It, yeah. And then when that hotel isn't good enough for you, what do you do? You go find another hotel. If the UK started, well, it is declining. If the UK had a horrendous event and suddenly we became like a third world country, the exodus from the UK by all the immigrants and people who were born here will will be massive. They will just find a new hotel somewhere else. And all we're doing is destroying the country because there is no community. And that's what we need to understand, that this mass migration, this understanding and this feeling that anyone's welcome here and the fact we're earning some money and GDP's going up isn't, isn't the gold. It's not, it's not the gold at the end of the rainbow. It's, 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 self, it's self-harm. I'd rather be poorer and happier than being a millionaire and being miserable. This is something that my grandparents have always said to me, and they, they grew up in the bomb sites of the East End just after the war. And they've always said, you know, we, we were hungry. We had holes in the roof. We had one bowl of cornflakes in the morning. We'd bunk into the Lido because we couldn't pay for the pool all day. We'd run around on an empty stomach. But we've got memories. And we were poorer than you'll ever be, but we were freer than you will ever be as well. They were free, but they also understood their community. Yes. They, they understood reality. when And you said before, people walk around this country with a head down looking depressed. It's because we don't know how to act anymore. We don't know what to say. We don't know what we can do. We don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And all the things we thought were true can all change tomorrow. And we've had that discussion about what is a woman and all those sort of people don't know what's true anymore. Hence why we're all becoming a nation of, of, of people who are depressed. Hence why it was easier and your life was better decades, you know, 50 years ago, because you understood how reality worked in your neighborhood. Today, we don't. It's also easier to get those depressed, atomized, lonely, and confused people hooked on government benefits and therefore create a dependent population easier to control. So it's almost like there's a perverse incentive for our managerial class to continue this decline. I sort of agree. I don't think it's to control the people. I think it's basically short-termism. These people are a problem. Pay them off because I only care about the next election two years from now. I'm not looking 20 years from now about how that's going to affect the economy. 
I'm looking at just being elect, re-elected again in two, three years' time. It's all short-termism. Sure, but there are some international institutions that have literally said, we're going to confiscate your property by 2030. And they do get quite a lot of their policy ideas from there because they're midwits who don't come up with novel ideas themselves. So there are some actual true believers who would like uh, a new neo-feudal system of course, yeah. Where, yeah. where their power is as oligarchs <clears throat> is never challenged yeah. and the rest of us just accept the slop that we're given. And, and those people are, are fifth columnist traitors. But, but there you go. Anyway, so on to the next one. Speaking of fifth columnist traitors, mm-hmm. Jeremy Hunt. Why are the Bank of England the only bank in the world who are simultaneously raising interest rates to rates akin to the 2008 financial collapse and also selling off bonds, which is a pretty mm. risky strategy? So Jeremy Hunt said, Britain's stuck in a low growth trap. I wonder who put us there. Mm. After the official figures showed the nation faced a sustained period of high interest rates before the next general election. The Bank of England announced it was raising the base rate by 0.25 percentage points to 5.25%, the highest rate in more than 15 years and the 14th increase in a row. This means that people coming off fixed rate mortgages face an additional repayment of about £3,000 a year. You can see the chart here. Look at that. 5.25% just around the time of the 2008 financial crash. And that's that's where it was coming down. We're going back up to that. So we are in prime position to crash the pound. The bank expects inflation to average 4.9% over the fourth quarter of this year before falling to 3.1% next year and hitting the 2% target in 2025. Now, they did say that inflation numbers were performing better than expected yesterday. And then you found out that the CPI that they were using to calculate the numbers didn't have energy and food in it. So, you know, those really essential things that people are spending most of their money on, they've just gone, yeah, we don't need to care about that. What about, what about cigarettes and booze? It's like, no. Okay, thank you for gaslighting us with statistics, but, but there you go. The bank said, if there was evidence of more persistent inflationary pressures, then further tightening in monetary policy would be required. And also, it's just worth pointing out that our economy, because it's been stewarded into managed decline ever since the, the victory of the Second World War, that we are precariously reliant on the Chinese economy due to globalization and the American economy because of the global reserve currency they're currently in the middle of destroying. So if America and China have different strategies and they go belly up, then we're also screwed. So we have absolutely no energy security, no food security, and no financial security. We're currently demolishing our own economy, as are the two economies that we're reliant on. So it's just not not looking good, is it? And, and so we, we go to the state of discourse because you said, okay, well, people just don't know the truth anymore. Well, at least we can we can speak freely and we'll, we can have our concerns addressed, right? Right. Mm. Yeah, d- doubt that. So, so this is a very well-written article in Telegraph. Quote, intellectual conformity is stultifying in Parliament and has been reinforced by the emergence of an all-powerful blob, the nexus of mandarins, policy advisors, quango, crats, and other government agents, a class of public servants who really don't like the public and are increasingly convinced that they have a constitutional duty to constrain and contain elected politicians. They are experts at delay, prevarication, and lawfare, and are cheered on by the left-wing activists who have taken over the legal profession, cultural institutions, academia, charities, and even many big companies. Thus, in the rare instances when the Tories attempt to think the unthinkable and respond to public opinion, as with the channel crossings, the system does its best to block any change. Empowered by quasi-constitutional legislation such as the Equality Act, the Climate Change Act, and our membership of the ECHR, most of our institutions are now controlled by pseudo-meritocratic elites convinced that only it can prevent the masses from reverting to ignorance, racism, and prejudice. Our new ruling class is paternalistic, messianic, even in a post-religious age, it has taken the role of priest and savior of the common people. It does truly feel like we are ruled by a class of people who are antagonistic, apathetic at best, to the concerns of working people who can walk around every day and aren't encouraged by the 
graph that goes up because their actual quality of life and their sentimental feeling of alienation from the place they've inherited is getting worse. And these people just sort of don't care. But I, I know you're running to be mayor of Greater Manchester because you actually sincerely care. But, but honestly speaking, do you think any of the people that you're running against care? Or are they just in it for the job? Um, I've met lots of politicians from councillors to MPs to prime ministers. Um, they're all very nice people. And I think they all go into it for the right reasons. What happens is it's become a career. So once you're in the system, it's, you're easy, it's easy to manipulate you. It's easy to start tempting you with what everyone else has been tempted with. And you become the thing you wanted to change. You, you become what, what you hated a decade or two decades ago before. Power corrupts, we know that. And I think it's very rare you get someone who, who can resist that temptation over a prolonged period of time. You get to a stage where all you're doing, and this is vast, nearly all politicians now, all you care about is the next election. Our biggest problem is no one's planning for the future. That's why we're in all this mess. You talked about the, you know, the benefit system, you know, more and more people on benefits, the um, insecurity around energy. All these things have been predicted. We're predicted every decade. No one does anything about it because of the next election coming around the corner. Why should I take the flak now? I won't be in power 20 years from now when these things manifest themselves as, as fantastic. I don't get a benefit of that. So you do get corrupted in the system. It takes somebody with a real backbone and somebody who doesn't want to be a politician to be a politician. See, the way that you're framing it, I, I do want to challenge it slightly because I see a lack of moral culpability in the idea that the system just sort of pushes you along and makes cowards out of people. And I think this is why I left the, left the policy space right before I got into media and, and thankfully lotus seaters. And that is because I was brushing up against what I thought was incompetence repeatedly and also brushing against people who were trying to make people right to spec and fit preordained ideas and make you compromise your values. But the directive was always top down. And it's because there was an agreed destination that we would capital P progress towards whether we liked it or not. And we were just negotiating the speed and the color of car that we would take to get there. So actually, I do think that it's not short-termism. I do think there are very dedicated people that have an almost religious fervor to their commitment to a utopian vision that has been given a date, 2030 or 2050. And so I think they are the ones driving the ship and actually dragging lots of those careerist cowards along with them. So I don't, I don't think it's all incompetence from the top down. I sincerely think there are some people who have dark designs to immiserate us, and then there are too many cowards in the system that aren't standing up to that. I'm sure there's people in the system who have got some, you know, who suffer from the dark triads, who have got, you know, are trying to plan something. What I sort of understand is if we look at the UK as a long term project, so, you know, we, we, we judge the UK over a thousand year history. We can't have governments that come in and flip things on a dime and change everything overnight because every government every four or five years would do exactly that and we'd be chaos. There has to be some constraint of what governments can do over the short term. That rubs up against the will of the people who want change. Now, where that line is between that, I would imagine only, only the good leaders can discover. So 
it will never go as smoothly as you want it to go because we're still trying to balance the long-term interest of the UK and the short-term interest of the politicians. How that works, I have no idea. And but see, see my, my question would be, doesn't it just take political will? Because frankly, Tony Blair was passing hundreds of laws during his time in office. And now instead, the Conservatives, rather than tearing them asunder, have just been building atop them and working within the Blairite paradigm and framework. Expressly, you know, David Cameron says that, says that oh, Labour were way more diverse than us, so I decided I'm going to institute affirmative action. And preceding Tony Blair, Margaret Thatcher said, Tony Blair's the best part of our legacy. I, I genuinely think, despite, despite the party, despite the system, there is a continuity of direction of travel here. And so they're all just dragging us along. And most of the arguments are just for show. I don't have a lot of faith in the system. I, I, another person who doesn't as well, it's worth referencing on the website. And this is actually a, a free discussion that we decided to, to make available to everyone. I, I spoke to Professor Matthew Goodwin from the University of Kent. That is book, Values, Voice and Virtue. There'll be future book clubs with the authors, interviews with those coming up soon. This is free on the website and it's also on YouTube. And if you pay us as little as £5 a month, you not only get access to all of our premium videos from behind the paywall, but you make it financially affordable to keep bringing in these guests as well, because obviously they've got travel costs and lighting costs and all the like to, to host them. But Matthew's idea is the new elite. And that is that there is a class of people that only care about their personal enrichment, the things that they can put on a CV or on LinkedIn, mm. and they are the capital A anywhere men. They are universal in their culture. They're apathetic. They can be transplanted from time and place, parachuted from, say, Goldman Sachs in California to a safe seat constituency in Yorkshire, and suddenly, mysteriously, fail upwards and become prime minister. And it seriously does feel like there are forces behind the scenes that have said, we have a preordained set of people that we want to steward us to a preordained destination, and they just don't care because they, they gatekeep via a certain set of beliefs that is inculcated in a university system that has expanded its its recruitment pool by making more and more people go to university under Tony Blair. They gatekeep people out of that club and anyone who isn't in the club, well, why do we have to serve those plebs? We, we already know what we want to do with them and, and that's make them dependent. I think that's always happened. Hence why he calls it the new elite because they've just replaced the old elite. But there's always going to be an elite. It yeah. just matters whether or not the elite actually care about you. Mm. But the, the feudal lords and, and the king cared far more about their subjects than the current oligarchs do in our facade of a democracy. And, and so I, I'm actually not against elitism. I just think you need an elite that actually care. But what would be great is if rather than the status quo lawmaking system that we currently have now, where the Conservatives just build a top Blairism, if you had someone with the gumption of Tony Blair to come in and say, no, we're, we're actually ripping that up and we're making much better laws that, that safeguard children in schools, that, that safeguard women's changing rooms and the like. But we can actually pass laws and we just, just burn the Equality Act. Absolutely jettison it but there's no political will there. At the moment, well, but things are changing. That leader who will do that is on the way. We just don't know who they are yet, but that leader yes. is on the way. I'd love it if they could hurry up. Yeah. The current crop of leaders, though, and the reason they have utter contempt for us, this is, uh, first of all, they've been expanding. They've just been voting themselves more money. Mm. So this came out the other day. The civil service has increased by more than 100,000 people in seven years. And this has grown by 60% of the salary bill to over 15 billion. These were figures released by the Cabinet Office, and they show that people employed in Whitehall departments who earn a six-figure sum has reached two, 2050, an increase of 88% since 2016. Between 2016 and 2023, the number of elected officials employed by Whitehall departments grew by more than 100,000, which is greater than the entire regular forces of the British Army. So we have more people making useless laws to justify their permanent existence and their permanent pay rises, which outgrow all of the people doing actual useless, useful jobs, than the people who are risking their lives defending the country. This is just a symptom of complacency and decline 
And also, why aren't our priorities in order where we should have more noble fighting men on the front lines than people monitoring literally every behavior possible from the center of the city? And, and I think part of it is because we don't have that affirmative cultural narrative to actually inspire young men to, to conscript themselves in the army. That's why we've got the lowest reserve rate since the Napoleonic Wars. And I, I, this, this is also because we've increased the size of the state. And if you increase the size of the state, it needs managing. You need more managers. You need more senior managers. You need more buildings. You need more cleaners. We keep increasing the size of the state. And the more you do, the more you need civil servants. Yeah, and so you manufacture consent to keep hiring your friends. Yes. So pay rises, and it's a it's a horrendous vicious circle. And so there was this great Substack article um, from the Upheaval, and he goes through a lot of comparisons. It's very long, so we're not going to not going to read lots of it. And I encourage you to read it in your own time. He goes through comparisons between the ruling class in China and the government structure in China and the US. And I think you can actually draw comparisons to the UK because the UK is basically a US vassal state at this point. And he describes the mentality of these people, the kind of thing that is cooked up in universities and in the civil service fast scheme and in Whitehall. And he says, there is an elite obsession with control. It's accelerated by belief in scientific management or the ability to understand, organize, and run all the complex systems of society like a machine through scientific principles and technologies. The expert knowledge of how to do so is considered the unique and proprietary possession of the elite vanguard. Ideologically, this elite is deeply materialist and openly hostile to organized religion, which inhibits and resists state control. So they want you to be lonely, atomized, purely material, and apathetic to your culture and heritage because those are the safeguards against letting them take over. Managerial ideology is a relatively straightforward descendant of the Enlightenment liberal modernist project. It's a formula that consists of several core beliefs, what can be called core managerial values. These can be distilled into technocratic scientism, the belief that everything, including society and human nature, can and should be fully understood and controlled through scientific and technical means. Utopianism, the belief that a perfect society is possible, in this case, through the perfect application of perfect scientific and technical knowledge. Think net zero, for example. We can just engineer our way and also manipulate your behaviors in such a way that gets us to the perfect utopia of utter abundance, but also absolutely no environmental damage. It's, it's self-negating, very arrogant, but it has that Promethean ambition of making heaven manifest on earth. History now takes on moral valence. To go backwards is immoral. Indeed, actively conserving the status quo itself is immoral. That's exactly what Tony Blair was talking about when he said, well, change is as inevitable as the change of the seasons. They are positioning themselves as the stewards on the right side of history to the place that they've already ordained is where we're going to. And if you kick up a fuss, well, you're just a speed bump on that road to history. We can ride right over your rights and your sentiments. Absolutely no concern. Meliorism, the belief that all the flaws and conflicts of human society like cultural compatibilities, and of human beings themselves are problems that can and should be directly ameliorated by sufficient managerial technique. Poverty, war, disease, criminality, ignorance, suffering, unhappiness, death, bigotry. None of the examples of the human condition that will always be with us, but are all just problems to be solved. They believe that people are fundamentally blank slate fungible tokens, and so if you strip away all of their cultural prejudices and the perfect market actors to register on the GDP graph. Liberationism. Old ideas, old culture, old customs, old habits must all be dismantled in order to ameliorate human problems. Hedonistic materialism, and this is a big one, and I think this is very prominent. I don't know how much time you've personally spent in the Westminster sphere, but most of the people that run Westminster have no family ties. They're very city living. They do the type of extracurriculars that would get them in trouble were they caught and they weren't in Westminster and they didn't have that kind of political impunity for being prosecuted. And lots of them have no children, they're not married, or 
and, and putting it frankly, there's a overrepresentation of gay men in politics because they're willing to trade sexual favors and they don't have that catalyst pressure to settle down and have a family in time. So they can just work all the time. And so these people that run the country are the exact kind of people who are incentivized to do short term, very materialistic policies that just justify their own lifestyles. And it's the belief that human happiness and well-being fundamentally consists of and is achievable through the fulfillment of a su sufficient number of material needs and, and psychological desires. So if you do net zero, for example, you can just hook yourself up to the brain chip machine. And guess what? If you've got absolutely no costs because all your, all your energy is generated renewably, why not just sit in the metaverse all the time and, and, and have all of your pleasures fulfilled? Homogenizing cosmopolitan universalism. This is the belief that all human beings are fundamentally interchangeable and members of a single universal community. So a migrant is just as patriotic about Britain as you are. That's why he sends all his money back home. That the best systemic practices are discovered by scientific management and are universally applicable in all places and for all people at all times. And therefore, the same optimal system should rationally prevail everywhere. And that progress will always naturally entail centralization and homogenization. And this is why when people like, like Peter Hitchens just say, Britain's lost, just leave. It's like, no, the point of global homogenization is that it's global and they will chase you to the ends of the earth mm. everywhere is the same. Because if they're utopians, they cannot stand inequality or difference anywhere because it is a, a affront to their liberal sensibilities. So they won't ever leave you alone. So you can't just run. Even though the UK sucks right now, going to Australia and America for a brief bit of reprieve for those honesty boxes, for those higher earnings, it's going to come there too eventually. They just need to bus the right amount of people that need to extract the right amount of money out and don't share the culture with the place. And then everywhere is going to be dilapidated too. It's not even happening in those places. Yeah, it depends on the state, definitely. Yeah. But funny enough, when I went to Washington, I saw it's not. Washington, still pristine. Still, uh, everything's, everything's functioning on time. The Ubers are running. The, the, the architecture is beautiful. And it's because that's the political capital. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the central hub where all of the Hunger Games type villains hang out. And yeah. let, let all the plebs go and hunt, hunt their food and, and starve elsewhere. And the last one, abstraction and dematerialization. The belief that more often the instinct, the abstract, and the virtual things are better than physical things. So, oh, but, but you're walking around and you're seeing the decline. But have you seen this number on this graph that actually says that GDP is going up? Don't you feel consoled about your entire culture and heritage being stripped out from under your feet? That you were never asked about? And this is why, just, just briefly wrapping up, this is why most people can't even tell if Rishi Sunak's left or right wing. Because it's a uni party. They're all agreeing on the trajectory of travel. Yep. These arguments are just bread and circuses meant to, meant to obfuscate um, the actual issues. And so just, just wrapping back to conclude on, on a paragraph from Mary's article. She says, numerically speaking, the illegal migration bill that's meant to be stopping these boats, all the issues it addresses are sideshows. The number of migrants entering Britain by small boat, which was 45,000 last year, might seem high. But relative to 2022's overall net migration figure of 606,000, it's a small number, around 7.5%. These comparative figures explain why the small boats debate occasions so much sound and fury. It's a proxy for the growing perception that regardless of what the electorate wants, the political class has no interest in controlling migration of any kind, whether legal or otherwise. This is simply the consequence of Britain's structural reliance, for both the economy and the welfare state is continued on economic growth. In practice, in a low-productivity economy such as Britain's, this means population growth. And since Britain's native population has been below replacement for decades, mainly because it's very expensive to have a house and family, leaders must either level with the electorate about the need to trim our sales, or else grow the economy, the population, by any other means. And so I wanted to conclude, Britain's not mid, but the managerial mindset is what is destroying it. Britain is not unremarkable. She's just being mistreated. I think we can fix her. With that, onto the video comments. Kana, you need to watch Barefoot Jin, a movie about Hiroshima taking place before 
doing and after the drop of the atomic bomb, all seen from the perspective of a young boy. What makes this unique is that the artist and writer did live through all of this at that age. So this is largely based on his real life experiences. And so is the sequel that takes place three years after the drop of the bomb, but still in Hiroshima. Okay, I, I will actually watch that because I, I don't. Have you ever? You probably haven't. Have you ever heard of a film called Grave of the Fireflies? No. Okay. Um, you cannot get it on YouTube because no. that would be illegal. Uh, it's it's an autobiographical animated film about the perspective of a boy and his young sister who lived through the firebombings of Tokyo, mm. and it's brutal. But it's it's an amazing historical story, and that that looks very similar. Because um, so this this comes from the fact that. Uh, Tuesday, Dan and I were discussing after Oppenheimer's released, I haven't seen it, but he had yeah. the historical justifications for whether or not Japan should have been bombed. And it was a it was a very difficult conversation to have. I don't I don't necessarily line up either way, but it's very sad and harrowing that, that people had to live through that. So on to the next one. Well, I know the California poop map is kind of overdone at this point. So how's about uh freeway shooting maps? Because apparently California has had a lot of freeway shootings, and that's something I noticed crop up a lot in my research. So here's some statistics for you to glom over if you want. Perhaps make a segment on it. Um, for the record, Alameda County has Oakland in it, no comment. Yes. Well, we, we did see on the weekend segments that, that Carl did, there are lots of Oakland carjackings going on of white women and the diversity. And now in Oakland, construction workers who are just trying to repair the mains and the electrical lines are being assaulted and robbed for parts. So they've had to hire off-duty police officers to just stand around and guard the construction crews. So, great. This is what happens when people don't feel tied to time and place. Yes. California is falling apart. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And to think it was once the, uh, the cultural epicenter of America. Yeah. And it's no wonder now that lots of Hollywood movies just are hemorrhaging profitability because people realize the bankruptcy of the place they're all coming from. Mm. Some of the written comments on the website. Matt P., the future mayor of Greater Manchester returns. Good to see Nick on again. Thank you. And letter M is literally mid. Get a better letter. <laughs> oh my, the first two segments, it's all flipping disgusting. I'm beyond irrational anger and I'm now crossed into rational anger. Well, yes, anger is the immune system of the soul. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase a quote from Watchmen. Um, if you're angry... Do not be alarmed. It only means you're still sane. So, Sophie Liv. Oh God, I've told this story multiple times. I lived in London over a decade ago and was stalked multiple times by middle-aged Middle Eastern men. One even grabbed my wrist, pulled me down to a bench and said he wanted to make me feel like the most beautiful girl in England. This was over a decade ago. I would not be going to London alone or any of the UK major cities. Some areas of London are still relatively safe, but just not for young girls alone. And most of them not even in small groups, especially because lots of the tube networks don't run at night. For some reason, we don't, I mean, of course, Sadiq Khan is actively destroying London, I think intentionally at this point, but we can't have space in the budget for running the tubes all night to necessary destinations, but we can have it for a giant BLM fist at the New Year's Eve celebrations and to hire drag queens for, for pride. Great, thanks. Lord Nerevar, the Instagram story is what happens when your men are weak and effeminate and your women are inculcated with boss B propaganda. Then you import tens of thousands of men who have no morals above profit. And yeah, absolutely. Miles Mitchell, no man of fighting age above the age of 17.5 should be considered as a refugee and asylum seeker. Also, we should close our borders until there's no unemployed and homeless. We should also get our house in order first. Yeah, one of the, one of the great irritations for me 
was learning about housing migrants in military barracks. Mm. And all I could think of, of great, okay, so all those veterans that, that went and, and fought abroad and came back with various amounts of trauma and even substance addiction, estranged from their families and couldn't find jobs, we're going to let them sleep on the street. But old Tom, Dick, and Abdul that turned up from Calais, oh, they, they, they get better board just fine. And I have to pay for it. Thanks. Thanks, government. You're not selling me down the river. Ignacio, never forget. All the governments of North African countries of departure are complicit and endorse the migration to rid themselves of rowdy men, extract money from Europe, and terrorize and pressure Europe out of spite. Yeah, this is why we shouldn't be giving money to France. We should actually just be punitively legislating and persecuting the countries that allow all the North African migrants to come over here. Like we should be punishing them until they get a hold on their population. Lots of things we can do if we actually wanted to stop it, but nobody wants to stop it. Yeah, exactly. This is this was this was the article yeah. I just read. It's, yeah. uh, more people equals more GDP. That's all. Thomas Howe. It would be interesting to look at the point at which these videos and hashtags gained prominence and plot alongside in incidents of sexual assault in European countries. I am not nearly qualified to do that data, but if someone is, and someone would take the time to do so, that would be fascinating. Again, I think the Home Office is more than qualified to do that. Why haven't they? Hmm. Kevin Fox. Groups of girls on a night out need to instigate a thing we did in the military due to the IRA threat in the 80s to 2000s called Shark Watch. One person has the responsibility of staying sober and being aware of potential threats. Unfortunately, that's unlikely to happen because we're talking about a generation who live for their own hedonistic desires and ignore anything that might curtail that behavior. But it's interesting because Gen Z are actually drinking and sleeping around far less than the prior generations, but those who do it are doing it in serious excess to their own detriment. Yeah. Um, this, was, this was the post-lockdown thing about the, the spiking scare that happened. Most of those girls were not spiked. I know some girls that were. I know some, some that may have been done with injection needles or, or had fizzy drinks. My own, my own sister may have actually been spiked at one point. But lots of those girls had just not been out for a while, didn't know their own alcohol tolerance, and so had put themselves in vulnerable states. And this is why Louise Perry, um, mother to, to many girls in a spiritual sense with the case against the sexual revolution, ends her book with, don't get drunk around strange men you don't know. Just don't. That, that, was, that was once... Uh, fairly moderate position that was sensible to advise young girls, but with the sexual revolution, the advent of the birth control pill, even with electric lighting and, and making the streets safer at night, we've become complacent and thought, oh, it's all right. Most, most people are sexual predators, so I'll be fine. Well, when you import them onto sexual predators, on the promise of sexual predation, you get rapes, which is horrible, but it happens. Um, Risco, he says, sink the boats, let them know you'll do that, then set up a military blockade. Well, yeah, unfortunately, most people will only respond to a threat of force. And I think it's utterly justified at this point because these people aren't refugees. They're having advertised them their, their evil intent. Some stuff from your segment. Omar Awad, this poor woman is a prime example of what Me Too should have been about. Reported the incident as soon as possible, forensic and video evidence, but facing a wall of silence. The bastards covering it up are at least as bad as the rapists themselves. For police officers, this kind of betrayal of authority and trust deserves swift execution of justice. Absolutely. Just Jurassic Spark, I'll say it again, policy enforcers are not police officers. That's very important as well. The amount of people that have behind-the-desk admin jobs and don't have any real field experience, mm. that's a major issue for the police, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, the police now are full of university graduates, woke fools, people who just thought, oh, that would be a nice second job. I'll go do that. We don't have the grassroots professional police force we used to have 30, 40 years ago where you learnt your trade as a police officer, you're now parachuted in and you've got no real life experience and all you rely on are policies. Well, what should I do about that? What does the policy say? Yeah, kick it up the bureaucratic chain. I think yeah. this is also part of the problem with the journalistic profession, frankly. Um, very few people are gumshoe reporters. You know, I, I, I cut my teeth in, in policy spheres 
So that's why I'm a better analyst than, than some, I would hope. I know one guy who is an actual on-the-beat reporter, Clark Kent style, who worked his way through student newspapers, then local newspapers, to then go and work for the Daily Mail. Fantastic. The rest of them, they just sit there and write op-eds yep. and about topics that they've never even encountered before. They have absolutely no stake in. They're just straight from university graduates on some left-wing newspaper grad scheme. They do one journalism qualification and don't actually follow the most rudimentary basics like reaching for comment like the BBC did, did with when defaming Carl. And then you just get poor quality service. Same with the police. You get a bunch of people that were bullied at school wanting to vicariously revenge themselves on the most vulnerable people. It's like that, that lesbian police officer, obvious lesbian police officer, arrest me, don't care, that, that bullied a, a drunk 16-year-old girl with autism and a twisted spine. But how do you sleep at night? You disgusting people. But anyway, stop ranting, I suppose. Um, Athelstan, is there a single formerly Great British institution that people have had a good experience with, let alone trust at this point? Maybe a local library? Maybe. But most of those being closed. Um, are there any good institutions left, do you reckon? I was thinking about driving here today, and the only thing I can think of was, and this is just personal for me, the motorway system. But smart motorways that keep being opened up have increased accidents. That's yep. also a problem. So no, I don't think there is really. Anyway, um, on, just on the last segment, Miles um, Mitchell, I've said it before, as soon as the next big war or crisis and people are called up to do their, their part happens, it'll be rats leaving a sinking ship. Yeah, very much so. Again, if you treat the place like an opportunity zone and all the opportunities dry up, people are not going to feel tied to time and place here. Um, Lord Nerevar, barbarians in the streets and paying jobs in positions of authority, I'm getting real Fall of Rome vibes from this whole thing hence why I plugged it in the first segment. In a proper country, all offending officers would be discharged and then have the book thrown at them, but we're no longer a serious country. Well, hopefully we will again with any of the... We're no longer a serious electorate. That's the problem in a democracy. As in the politicians or the people voting? The people voting. Um, well... Could all change overnight. If, if half the people started voting who don't vote, sure. and the people who were voting started changing their vote and demanding something different. Who for? It doesn't matter who for. Oh, it absolutely matters. No, 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 I, I, it, it doesn't. Because the big parties will, will change their opinion once they realize there's votes in it. Yeah, but who, the, okay, okay, let's put, let's put it this way. Yeah. Does, does the, is the political structure conducive to small parties rising from the ranks? No. Okay. Um, are any of the current political parties the exact kind of platform you'd like to vote for? No. Okay. Um, at the moment, are any of the big parties, let's say the Conservative Party, because the Labour Party are Islamist communists and there's no hope for them, um, is the Conservative Party, unless you really keep your head down and your mouth shut and become a dissident like Miriam Cates or Danny Kruger, are they going to allow any people in the selection process to slip through the net who might criticise the Prime Minister? No. Okay, so who do we vote for? You vote for those independents and those small parties who haven't got a chance of winning. You vote for them. Yes, and I, I, un I understand... And then, Absolutely, yourself. Yep. I encourage people yeah. to do. Well, then, even if I don't win the mayor of Greater Manchester, other politicians will, let, let's say I come second or third, let's yep. say I get 100,000 votes. Yep. Other politicians, other parties will go, look what that nobody did in Manchester on those policies. Those policies seem popular. I'm looking for votes. It's all about votes. And then they lie and don't execute them. Well, this, this happened with Brexit, for example. Right? Yeah, so Brexit is a great example of what the people can do. If they start voting differently, but it didn't scare, happen, that's a different argument altogether. 
But getting Brexit, getting the referendum and winning the referendum is what we can do. After we won the referendum, everybody went back to what they did before. That's always, that's always going to happen when you have the same crop of stewards that are in charge. If, if the people are not necessarily themselves cleared out because they already agree on the destination of travel, they're not going to change their minds. That's the, you're talking about the politics, I'm talking about the electorate. The electorate can yes. change this. But they, 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 they attempted to change it with Brexit, and unfortunately, the people who are executing Brexit yep. just lied. Because no institution is neutral. It's always staffed by people who hate In you. which case, the electorate need to do it again. It all comes down to the electorate. I don't think we're ever going to agree on this one, I'm afraid. And I, 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 think, I think populism might just be a, a delusion, as some people have said. But on that note, speaking of a fantastic politician, a fantastic campaign, Nick, where can people find you? They can find me all over social media. Just look for Nick Buckley MBE or Nick Buckley for Mayor. Um, yep. If you've got some money to throw my way for the campaign, please go to my donation site. And I, th- I think just start following me and start sharing my posts. I just need to raise my profile more. Yeah, and that's the big issue for me. You've done some good interviews on YouTube with also members of the Lotus Seeds before, including yep. including me. So uh, yeah, go and go and check out Nick's content as well. And if you've got any good stories about Greater Manchester, as in negative or positive, get in contact. I've started a new podcast now called Greater Manchester Stories. Let's try to get some of these, I know, good stories, but also the incompetence. Let's get them out there and let's discuss them. Well, as, as with your segment today, it's very important we draw yep. attention to the, the stories that slip through the cracks of the mainstream media. So, so thanks for sharing. We'll be back again tomorrow at one o'clock where you'll be getting uh, another of my colleagues. You get a break from me for a few days. Um, until then, thank you very much for watching and goodbye. <laughs>